Morning, East Ridge. How are we doing this morning? Good. Last time I came to you, last time I preached for you all, I was behind this pulpit, but you were at home. I was preaching to a camera. So now it feels good to get to uh, preach to you all this morning in person. And for those of you that are still at home live streaming with us, welcome this morning. Before we go uh, into our text this morning, I just again want to pray for us uh, before we uh, dive in this morning. So let's pray one more time. Father God, we just thank you once again for God, who you are. God, we're thankful for uh, just this time to gather, gather together as your church. And God, this morning as we uh, dive into our text this morning, God, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, uh, God, just to hear what you would have to say to each and every one of us. God, it's in your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we kind of wrap up the summer, uh, we are leaving the summer months and we're slowly getting into the fall, whether the weather wants to do that for us or not. Uh, we are slowly getting into the fall. And as I look back uh, on the summer, as, as it's wrapping up, uh, one of my favorite activities, one of my favorite things to cool down during these summer months where we've been experiencing, you know, 110, 115 degree heat is going swimming. That's kind of one of my favorite things to do uh, over, the pa- over the course of the past three months. I have frequently visited the pool at the apartment complex where I live, and that's just been a great way for me to cool down, to kind of get some relief uh, from the heat that the summer gives us each year. And as I think about that, as I think about uh, swimming and going to the pool and all that, I'm brought back to when I was a kid. I'm brought back to uh, when I was learning to first how to swim. And when I was learning how to swim, you may have had a similar experience to me. You may have either taken swimming lessons or your parents may have taught you how to swim. And uh, as you start to learn how to swim, you may start out with a life vest, right? And you're, you're learning the basics. You're learning how to paddle. You're learning how to kick. You're learning how to do all the different things that come along with swimming. And then once you finally progress uh, good enough to where you don't need any of those things, you're swimming on your own, you're swimming without the assistance of anything, Uh, the day may come where you decide, you know what, I think today is the day that I am going to finally jump into the pool, right? As a kid, that's a pretty monumental day when you finally muster up the courage to say, I'm going to jump into the pool, And so you get up to the pool, maybe you're trying to jump into the shallow end first. Let's take it slow, all right? Let's take it slow. Let's not jump into the deep end yet. So you you get your feet on the edge of the pool and and you're trying to gear up to to jump into the pool. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, 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 that's too scary. I can't do that. There's no way that's too scary. Even though I can swim, I don't think I can jump into the pool yet. And so you're like, "Well, well, hold on. Maybe again, I'll try again. So you get up to the edge of the pool again. And then you're like, no, 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 I can't do it again. It's too scary again. I can't do it. And so if you're like me, if you, if you have the kind of experience that I had, maybe then at that point, maybe your parents or grandparents, whoever was helping you swim, would get into the pool for you. And when they would get into the pool for you, they might get into the shallow end, right? And they'd look at you, you'd stand on the edge again, your parents or whoever it is might look at you and say, come on, just jump, right? They might just look at you, hey, come on, jump. I'm right here. I'm not going to let you sink. I'm not going to let you fall under the water. You just have to jump. You just have to jump. And then they might kind of extend their arms out like this to show you, hey, I'm going to catch you if you jump. I'm going to catch you. And then your parents might say something like this. They might say, you just have to trust me. I'm going to catch you. You just have to jump. You just have to trust me. 
And if we think about the world that we're living in right now, if we think about, man, just the craziness of the world, we're living in one of the most uncertain times of our lives, aren't we? We're living in the middle of a global pandemic that is making so many things uncertain. And because of this pandemic, you may be living in that uncertainty this morning. You may be right in the middle of the fear and the uncertainty that comes along with what we're living in right now. You may be in uncertain about your job. There may have been huge layoffs at the company, and you may be thinking, am I next? Or you might have been one of those. You may be living in financial uncertainty this morning. How am I going to pay the bills? Where is the next check going to come from? You might be so worn down right now in this time, you may be saying, God, where are you right now? Are you even here? Are you even seeing me? And church, I'm just going to start out with the good news. God is still here and he is still working. He is still here and is working in these times. He has not left us. He has not abandoned us. No, He is in the midst of the craziness that we call our world right now. And He's extending His arms out to you and me. He's in the pool. He's just saying, you just have to trust me. He's saying, jump. You just have to trust me. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. I want us to look at how God is still faithful, even through and even in the midst of the storms of life. And I want us to look at that in three aspects this morning. First, uh, from God's consistent presence. Secondly, from God's abundant provision. And then lastly, from God's faithful presence. Promise, And we're going to be doing so out of the book of Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 16. So if you're not already there, I'd invite you to grab your Bibles or device or whatever you have this morning. And while you're turning there, I just want to set the scene of where we are in the book of Exodus. So up to this point in Exodus, we have seen uh, the Israelites already uh, while they were in Egypt, right? We saw them enslaved in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh. Okay, and so up to this point where we're dropping into the book of Exodus this morning, uh, the Israelites have been led out of Egypt already. They've already been led out of Egypt, out of slavery, and just a couple chapters previous to where we are this morning have crossed the Red Sea uh, on dry land. Okay, and so now uh, in our text this morning, we are dropping straight into the middle uh, of the wilderness with the Israelites, uh, with Moses leading them. So let's look at Exodus chapter 16, I'm going to begin just in verse 1. The Bible says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. 
Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Verse 9, Then Moses told Aaron, Say it to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. This morning, like I said, first I want us to consider God's consistent presence. When we think about uncertain times, when we think about fearful times in our life, I want us to look at it first from the perspective of God's consistent presence. And before we even think about the passage, before we even look at our passage this morning, let's think back previously to the kind of situation that the Israelites have found themselves in. So we can easily uh, look back to the time when the, when the Israelites were in Egypt, when they were under the hand of Pharaoh, right? And the, the Israelites were under the oppression of a Pharaoh who refuses to listen to God's commands through Moses to let his people go. And I can't help but think... Every day as this dragged on and on and on, the Israelites have to be asking themselves, where is God right now? Where is God now? Is he here? What is he doing? Where has God gone? But then we see God show up in the most unimaginable way possible, right? If we think back uh, to that story, we see God show himself, we see him show up through ten different plagues across Egypt, each of those plagues showing God's presence to the Israelites, even in the midst of a seemingly hopeless situation, in the midst of a situation where God was seemingly absent, where it didn't look like he was there, it didn't look like he was working, God was working behind the scenes. And if we look at our text this morning again, we see the exact same thing happen again with the Israelite people. The Israelites have once again lost sight of God. They've again lost sight of God in in the midst of a seemingly hopeless situation. I mean, if you even look at verse 3, they were were saying they they wished they had stayed in Egypt. Man, at least in Egypt we had all we wanted to eat. At least in Egypt, we could have stayed there. Even though we were enslaved, we had everything we needed there. They had lost sight of God so much that they had wished they were still in Egypt. But again, we see God show his presence to the Israelites again. In verse 10, we see God show his presence to the Israelites through a cloud there in the desert, manifesting himself to them, but then Uh, Kind of the main event of this passage. 
we see in verses 13 and 14, God shows the Israelites his presence in another amazing way that only God can do by providing them meat and manna to eat. God was showing the Israelites through these signs that he was still with them, even in the midst of a hopeless situation. And I think we could take this example of the Israelites in the wilderness this morning to show that God is with us, even in a global pandemic. God has always been with us. He's been with us every day, every moment of our past. He's with us now, every single day, every single moment, and he will be forever in the future, every single day. We may not be able to see God at work in the midst of of the problems of our lives. We may not understand it from day to day, but rest assured that God is at work and he is present in our lives. He is working in all things and through all things. We see this in scripture, Romans 8, 28. You know this verse. And we know that in some things, no. And we know in what? In in the good things God works? No, in what? All things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works in in a global pandemic. God works in job loss. God works in financial stress. He is working for the good of those who love him. Other scriptures, Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then Jesus telling his disciples in Matthew 28, and behold, I am with you, what? Always to the end of the age. And this morning, church, I just say for us, as we are in the midst of an uncertain situation in the world, I just say rest in God's presence today. Rest in his consistent presence. If we truly believe that God is present, if we truly believe that he is always with us, then today we can put our head on the pillow tonight, trusting him with our problems, with our fears. We know that he is here. If we don't call out to our God who is present each and every day of our lives, man, we are truly missing out on what the Christian life is about. We can either walk in our lives, we can walk by fear, or we can walk by faith. And God is calling each of us this morning to walk by faith, because He is present. He is here, and we must trust in that presence this morning. Secondly, I want us to look at God's abundant provision, God's abundant provision. And as as we look back at the story of the Israelites again, we will continue to see instances where God is providing for them abundantly, even in the midst of the situations they find themselves in. We see uh, God provide deliverance out of Egypt and out from under the hands of an oppressive Pharaoh. We see God provide uh, deliverance from Pharaoh's army when they're chasing them by allowing them to cross the Red Sea on dry land. And again, in our text this morning, we see God provide abundantly for the Israelites again in another uncertain situation. Look at, verses, look at verse 13. We see it again. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Scripture says at this point we saw in uh, verses in the first verse, in verse 1, this, they, the Israelites had been in the desert up to this point for a month and a half. 
They had been wandering in the desert already for a month and a half. They were scared. They were uncertain. And they were obviously getting worried. Man, how are we going to get fed? Where is our source of food coming from? Again, we saw earlier that they were wishing they could just go back to Egypt. We had everything we needed in Egypt. But again, we see God, of course, show up in a way that only He can. And just from this story, I think we can see that God will provide for His children abundantly. And if we look at uh, the Latin, if we look at the original language for the word provision, it's just made up of two words, pro and vision. Put these two words together, and actually it means to see beforehand. Before this situation that the Israelites found themselves in, God knew long beforehand that He was going to provide for them. God already knew, and God does the same for us. Before we find ourselves in circumstances, before we find ourselves amidst the storms of life, God is working, and God is forming, and God is, knows that He is going to provide for us His children. God sees our needs beforehand, and He knows what we need before we even ask. God is faithful to provide for each and every one of His children. Psalm 37, 25 it's an amazing, amazing promise. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, for, nor his seed begging for bread. God provides for his children abundantly. And this morning I would say we must feast on the provision that God has blessed us with. Feast on the provision that God has blessed you with. God has blessed each and every one of us far more than we could ever imagine. When we think about, when we start to think about these things, uh, Jesus promises to meet our needs. He promises to meet just our basic fundamental needs. You know this passage, Matthew 6, starting in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? How we respond to God when he meets our needs is very important. Do we respond with true thanksgiving? Do we respond, man, in just absolute awe and honor of what God has given us? Or do we continue to look at the things that God could have given us? God, yeah, God, I, I know you met my needs today, but man, you really could have done a little bit more. God, you really could have given me just a little bit more. I mean, there's more out there. God, you just could have given me more. And I like to say it this way, God may not meet all of our greeds, but he will meet all of our needs, right? He will continue to meet our needs. And if we, if we compare ourselves here today to the rest of the world, man, God has blessed us beyond measure. Here's a couple statistics to put that into perspective for you. If you have food in your fridge, if you have clothes on your back and a roof over your head this morning, then you are actually richer than 75% of the world. This one, really, this one really puts it into perspective. If you have a cup of spare change somewhere, if you keep a cup of spare change maybe in your car or in your house somewhere, you are actually among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest people. God provides for our needs, doesn't he? God has not only pr promised to provide our, our physical needs, but he meets our spiritual needs as well. God has blessed us 
with things to, to meet our spiritual needs. What has He blessed us with? Well, first and foremost, He blessed us with His Son, didn't He? He blessed us with Jesus Christ to come to be the sacrifice for our sins on the cross that we needed to have a right relationship with Him. He provided first and foremost that for our spiritual needs, and for that we should be thankful. He's also provided His, his Word. He has provided us with the guide for our lives, what we are to base our lives upon and how we are to live our lives. And also, I said, He's just provided us with His church. He has provided us with a community of believers who are there through the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the hard times. He has provided us with a community to build us up, to carry us through these times in our life. I think it's safe to say that God has blessed us with so much more than we often realize, right? And we need to take time today to thank Him for what He has blessed us with. And this morning, just one more thing before we go. I just want us to look at God's faithful promise. The Lord uh, has kept His promise to uh, the, the people. He has kept His promise to the Israelites that He will provide for them. We see that in uh, this passage. He promises, hey, I'm going to provide for you. And He does so in only a way that God can do. Turn over, uh, look at verses 31 for me. Turn over in chapter 16, look at verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was, light like, it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave, to, gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna on the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. Listen to this. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached Canaan. Not only did God provide the Israelites with manna for that day, right? He didn't just provide for the day. No, he didn't provide for that, that week. He didn't provide for the next couple of months. No, he provided for the next 40 years as the Israelites walked through the wilderness. For the Israelites, they were walking through a very uncertain situation, weren't they? I mean, wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. But God, I mean, but the Israelites experienced the faithful promise of God through those next 40 years. They experienced God's faithfulness and His promise to them all the way through. And just as God was faithful to the Israelites, man, He is faithful to each and every one of us today. He promises that He will take care of each and every one of His children. Deuteronomy 7 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, he is faithful, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. I mean, we can obviously see that God was faithful to the Israelites, and he promises us that he's going to be faithful to us today. And again, once more, I just say, rest in God's promises for the future. Rest in his promises for the future. We are living, like I said, in one of the most uncertain and fearful times of many of our lives. I mean, this is a year of such fear 
and uncertainty. And like I said at the beginning, some people are facing the greatest challenges of their lives this year. And some of us in this room may be facing those challenges this morning. And of course, I just want to remind you, like I said, at the beginning of our time together, God is still working, even if we can't see it. God is still active, and God is still working. Through all things, we looked at in Romans 8, God is working for the good of His children. And like I said, we may not be able to see it right now. Man, we really may not be able to see it today. Things may look bleak today, but I guarantee we will be able to look back on this time in our lives and say, wow, God really was working. God really was working in me and through me. But until that day, until that day where we can look back and say, yeah, God was really working, God's calling each of us just to trust Him. Like I said earlier, like an adult in the pool helping their kid to learn how to swim, he's just extending his arm saying, you just have to trust me. You just have to put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in your bank account. Don't put your faith in your job that you have. Don't put your faith in an election on November 3rd because that sure isn't going to fix it. He's saying you must put your faith in me. God called the Israelites to trust Him in the midst of a desert over 3,000 years ago. And I think God is calling us to trust Him in in the middle of another, another desert this morning. We are called to trust in God. And as, we, as we close this morning, I'm just reminded of, there's a story of a missionary priest hundreds of years ago that set out, uh, who was set out on a mission to go to the West Indies. He was set out uh, to go on a mission there to preach uh, the good news of the gospel to those people who were there. And so he, he, he boarded this boat And on the boat, there were hundreds of other people who were also making the journey to the West Indies. And so they board the boat, and they launch out to sea. And as they launch out to sea, man, everything's great. They launch out. The weather's nice. It's it's a nice sunny day. And for about a week, they sail with no problems. Absolutely no problems. Sunshine. I mean, and they were even thinking, hey, we're actually going to get there quicker than we anticipated. Man, this is great. This is amazing. And then at the drop of a hat, they enter into one of the fiercest storms that some of those sailors say they had ever seen. They enter into a storm where the boat is being tossed back and forth. The waves are going over uh, the boat. And even the most experienced sailors on that boat were saying, hey, there's no way we're going to make it out of this. There is no way we are going to make it out of this storm. And people are running around, they're panicking. And this, this missionary priest, he's writing this down. He's, he's just looking at all the chaos that is unfolding on this boat. And then he walks up to the deck and he sees a boy who must not be more than seven or eight years old. And the boy is just sitting on the deck of the boat, about as calm as he could be. Just sitting on the deck of the boat as the boat is being thrashed about through this storm, through the waves, this boy is just playing on the deck. Just sitting. And, and the priest goes up to the boy and he says, how are you so calm right now? Can't you see what is happening? Can't you see that these sailors are saying, there's no way we're going to make it out of this. What are you doing? You, you should be afraid. And the boy kind of just looks up at the priest 
And he looks up at him and he says, my dad is the captain of the boat. My father's the captain of the boat. And I know my dad, and I know how good of a sailor he is, and I know that this storm may be bad right now, but man, I know my dad's a good sailor, and I know he's going to get us out of this. That's what he told the priest. He said, my dad is going to get us out of this storm. And lo and behold, the storm raged on for about four or five more days, but the boat came out of the storm, and they all made it to the West Indies. And when I think about that story, man, to have the faith of that little boy, right? To put our trust, that's what we should be doing. We should be putting our trust in our Father who's steering the boat. Now, we are in a storm right now, church. The world is in a storm. But our Father is the captain of the boat. And He is going to see it too that we make it through. And like I said at the beginning, all he's asking me and you to do is trust him. Let's pray together. Father God, just this morning we are thankful once again for our time together. God, we are thankful that we have this time together, God, as your church, God, as your people. And God, this morning as we have looked In this text in Exodus, God, I just pray that, God, as we walk this road, God, through a world that is in chaos, God, as we walk in a world, God, that every day it seems like something else is happening, God, this morning I just pray that each and every one of us would just trust you. God, that we would put our trust in you and in you alone. God, not in what we think we can do. God, not in what we think our bank accounts can do. God, not in what we think our government can do. But God, in what you and you alone can do. God, we know that you are faithful to your people. God, we see that in our text this morning. And God, God, we just pray that Above all, we would trust you with our lives. God, that we would rest in your presence this morning. God, that we would rest in your provision. And God, that we would rest in your promise. God, that you will not leave your children. God, that you will not abandon us through the storms of life. But God, that you are with us. And God, that you are working each and every day. God, we love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.